open up your books, you bad apples. Bingo, bango, bongo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club podcast. I'm Lucas Nord. And I'm your co-host, Colang. And we're back today to do a little bit of a kick-your-shoes-off episode for The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Who could forget it? Um, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you listen to the first two episodes because we're going to be talking full-on spoilers, baby, even if, um, you know, people will just recognize the name and already know that it's the same dude twice or whatever. But I was kind of thinking about recording episode two, and I remember personally talking about how I thought uh, it may seem kind of obvious, but then you said that people of the time had, of course, never heard anything like it, so they were all awestruck, and of course, that's how it would actually be, you know what I mean? In retrospect, it's really easy to be like, well, of course, it's two people, but there are plenty of clues, but um, they would still probably be pretty tricky to put together if you hadn't heard the name in pop culture through the years, you know what I mean? It would be tough. Uh, back in the day, because people, you know, they they didn't they weren't as smart as us uh, millennials, and um, well, some say I'm a Gen Z, but um, I don't know about that. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, like born in '97, but I was born 23 days into '97, and that, that's the cutoff of millennial. '97 uh, is yeah, supposedly. That's not fair. Yeah, so you know. And that's the thing with me, you know, I have this, I, I, I don't have this sense of identity like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, I'm, am I a Gen uh. Z or am I a millennial? Um, I, I really don't know. Um, so I, I definitely think the Gen Z is more of a Mr. Hyde, you know, that's the TikTok I was gonna say you, you let the you let the Gen Z come out when you scroll Instagram twenty times a day, <laughs> yeah. but when you're reading books, you're all millennial, baby. All millennial. Get that get that digital interface out of hey, my face. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yep. So that's how I feel. But yeah, back back in the day, I I really feel like um this would have been uh the talk of the decade because. I'm sure the press moved pretty slow back in that time. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, you didn't have smartphones where everything's an overnight sensation. Um, <sighs> so, yeah. Even even watching, like, Seinfeld. I was watching the Chinese restaurant episode the other day. Who could forget it? Um, George is trying to make a phone call that entire episode, and there's another guy on the payphone. There's no other way that he can get in touch with that person. My uh, my phone started acting funny a few weeks ago, and I it felt like the end of the world, man. We're just uh, so attached to them, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's not really what this podcast is about, but it's what we're talking about. This is the kick-your-shoes-off episode, like I said up top. Yeah, yep. Relaxed fit, you know, no stress here. No stress. Um, there's a lot of interesting things going on with this book. The, the reason why I actually wanted to cover it was because, yeah, sure, it's a great sci-fi mystery novel, very famous, and kind of launched like a thriller, horror, you, even parts of sci-fi. But when I was uh, being a, you know, an American tourist in Edinburgh, they, they came across this, uh, 
this building and it was where all these like is like a writer's museum and one of the writers that was featured was uh robert lewis stevenson the author of this book and they're like now the you guys might know this author but he drew the inspiration from one of his uh from this guy that he was good friends with and he's just like this great guy noble guy but then all of a sudden he poisons his wife with opium oh um and so he actually witnessed the trial of that and so that they think that's also another inspiration but you know that walking tour really inspired me to want to cover this um I, i just thought that was so interesting the you know this man who tries to hide his demons and comes off as a cool guy and then before you know it he's just killing people with opium so something nefarious under the surface very very um and actually something that i wanted to start talking about right away was in episode one when you were covering the author's life um good rundown um you mentioned that he was actually also inspired by a dream that we obviously couldn't cover because I'm thinking that that had a lot to do with a man with two personalities or something mm-hmm. like that. Did you want to go back to that to uh, start us off here, please? Uh, oh, yes. That's why I held off on the nightmare. You know, it would have made sense to go into detail about it. Right. But oh, yeah. Spoiler free. Um, that's us. So, yeah, the nightmare was... He was imagining this scientist and he was going underneath the or he is undergoing like these terrible transformations into like this monster like creature. And unfortunately, that's when his wife woke him up and he was like, I was having a scary dream. How dare you? Yes, seriously. I was right in the middle of something. And I guess the first novel the first edition he put out was even more gruesome but his wife was like uh you gotta you gotta tone this down for the victorian era so i wonder how much more uh vile it could have gotten because child trampling's in there beaten with canes is in there and yep yeah i don't know um that just kind of puts things in perspective in general too you know what i mean um when I don't know if this is actually true, but I've definitely read online that when people saw original trailers for the 1974 um, Toby Hooper directed film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, everyone knows Leatherface. Um, they said that in the theaters, when that trailer started playing, people were just so scared of that that they ran out of the theater. <laughs> um, but it kind of makes you think that even when we were talking about Frankenstein, um, we mentioned that they didn't discuss where Frankenstein came about getting the parts for his creation. Probably, you mentioned that grave robbing would have just been so taboo at the time, but through the years, things just get, I, I don't know, I guess people are more desensitized to it or something like that, but um, I suppose, yeah, like you said, the original story was just too nasty for the time. It is kind of exciting to think of how crazy it could have got, though, if he could have just let everything out. He could have been a real forerunner with all that, man. Yeah, for real. Just go full not Lil Nas X and uh, make that video oh, yeah. of Satan. You know, make wow, out hey. of him. That is 
a saucy music video. Yeah, but uh, it's pretty fun, you know. It, it's it definitely fun. upset uh, upset some people in America, but it's just like, come on, man. Um, it's it's just fun. He knew so, what he was doing. Yeah, he. It's how it's how he becomes viral. You know, it's just, and that's why we're gonna. Uh, get a little controversial on this podcast we're gonna go viral um, oh yeah yeah i don't know how I, I don't even know the first step of how to be controversial so it's gonna be kind of tough i think no one knows how to be controversial i think it's just gotta come natural yeah <laughs> yeah just like mr hyde you know he's been hiding in there so um what there's obviously lots of hints in this novel that allude to the grand reveal of Dr. Jekyll being one with Mr. Hyde. You got the uh, the house uh, being connected to Dr. Jekyll's house. His house is connected to Mr. Hyde's house. You got um, if he shall be Mr. Seek, uh, or no, if he shall be Mr. Hyde, I'll be Mr. Mm-hmm. Seek, <laughs> uh, implying that Mr. Hyde is, uh, hiding. Um, and then you also have oh. like the baggy clothes that, um, little Mr. Hyde is always wearing. So <laughs> I gotta ask, what is your favorite, um, foreshadowing of this grand reveal? I think, um... As we talked about, one of the more interesting, like, metaphors and more interesting bits of foreshadowing was the one you talked about up front is Dr. Hyde's laboratory just kind of being tucked away behind Jekyll's house. You really got to go out of your way to find this place. You probably don't know what's there. And even if you're inside Jekyll's house, you probably wouldn't even know how to get into the laboratory, which is, once again, a metaphor for someone obviously tucking something away because they don't want the world to know about it yeah um yeah oh. that one was a good one i also do like the baggy clothes thing too that one seems like it would have been like once again talking from retrospect that one does seem like it would be a real head scratcher reading that without knowing the twist is why is this guy wearing this other dude's clothes why um, why did Jekyll walk into this room and pen himself up and, you know, the butler thought that Hyde had killed Jekyll inside the room, even though I think they mentioned that there was only one entrance in in the first place, you know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of interesting little foreshadowing like the, like that, like you were talking about, um, what was your favorite little bit? Hmm. Well, I, I, I forgot a contender, but the handwriting was definitely one of them as well oh yes Uh, that one is also really cool too because you know it's two separate people's handwriting even though it looks the same but the one's written with a more skewed hand or whatever but yeah it could also seem like someone is you know they got a gun pointed to their head and they're being forced to write this note or whatever that that one's kind of interesting too yeah or just trying to make it look a little off just a little off center um right but I gotta go with. Um, I, I think the handwriting one is fun, but right. I like I like the kookiness of the baggy clothes. I just think oh, that's yeah. so funny. Um, mm. <laughs> like um, <laughs> Mr. Hyde, 
you know, I just think he uh, really respected Dr. Jekyll's fashion. He probably does, didn't have much of a sense of fashion. So he was like, um, if you didn't know about the twist, that's probably what you're thinking is, you know, he's just uh, desperate for some clothes. But no, nope, yep. it's literally uh, what you think it would be. And he just shrinks and the clothes are super baggy. He shrinks um, and he's automatically wearing his dad's clothes. Yep. <laughs> Um, I didn't even think about the double entendre or whatever of the Mr. Hyde and Mr. Seek thing, actually, until you just mentioned it there, too. That's kind of fun. Yeah, that's that was probably one of my favorite quotes of the book. With all that, there's like these hints of um, duality. It, the book really tries to explore, because this was at a time when... Freudian psychology was really picking up and he was making some theories and other psychologists were as well I just don't know their names because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Sigmund Freud came up with some pretty crazy stuff um, and so what, one of the things that's like really talked about is the nature of man and like is man truly good or evil or is he a little bit of both? And I was just wondering, after reading this book, do you think this book explores that uh, to the point where it aligns with your thoughts on that on that uh, theory? Um, as we've obviously discussed, many authors, Raul Dahl immediately comes to mind. He writes this story about the black and white characters charlie bucket is the most perfect of all and everyone else is completely awful but at the end of the day you know um some people i would say are more evil than others i guess or they just got more bad in them than good or whatever but it goes both ways i don't think that anybody in the history of existence has ever been purely black and white like that but i think that this story does interestingly cover even if it is kind of ham-fisted the idea of the literal transformation and the demon coming out being your awful side but it is a little more um like i said on the nose where jekyll for one even knew that he had this in him but it just took him drinking all of his weird concoctions to completely bring it out Mm -hmm. but i think like i said it's a little ham-fisted, but I do like that it explores the idea of the dark thoughts truly inside of man or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's... Uh, once again, I've said it, uh, and I'll say it before, but that's what I really liked about this is um, this transformation was because Jekyll has this dark side of him, and he, instead of, like... Because I, I think it's okay to, like, give in to, like, some of your guilty pleasures, unless it's hurting somebody. Yeah, uh, just don't hurt anybody. Yeah, that's, like, one of the rules of, like, Satanism is, like, you know, you, you just do your thing, do what makes you happy, but if it hurts you or your environment, don't do it. And right. I, I couldn't agree more, like, um, do what makes you happy. Um, but it really shows that Dr. Jekyll, he has a, he has a pretty dark side. Um, and I think it's interesting how at first he loves Mr. Hyde, you know, he just wants to hug him and kiss him and embrace him. 
but kiss in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and we see that um, instead of like doing these healthy doses of uh, Mr. Hyde, or he could have done it where he's Dr. Jekyll and he just like, you know, goes to the bar maybe more than once a week. Maybe that was controversial back in London. Probably not because there's gin drinking gin was like one of the one of their favorite things to do back in the day. And it's one of my favorite is. things to do. Yeah. Um so I I thought it was interesting how they or how he explores that in the sense that Dr. Jekyll it's not like he didn't want to turn into Mr. Hyde. At first he does, but then Mr. Hyde just completely takes over and we really see Dr. Jekyll start to suffer to the point where he can't even control his transformations and his his uh, guilty pleasures just completely take over. And see, that was actually my my personal twist for this story is I thought I knew everything about it. It's the same guy drinking the weird concoction, transforming, but um, learning that, uh, like we said, he actually, he was like, oh yeah, no, it wasn't some weird science experiment. I wanted to turn myself into a bastard man and raise a little hell, <laughs> go out, you know, stomp kids, um, beat men beat to death, man. even though, yeah, I'm not sure... That child stomping was something that he expected that he would do, but, uh, uh, you know, he, like I said, the personal thing for me that I did not know at all was that he wanted to do this to himself, but he just um, overdid it a teensy bit. Yep, couldn't agree more. Um, We do not like uh, child trampling on this show. Nope. we condemn anybody that does it, to be honest. I, I, I just don't think that there's per, a perfectly good person unless, you, you know, you were risen from the dead on Easter Sunday. Um, mm. <laughs> a little Easter callback. Um, Easter callback. As we're recording this on the Monday of Easter, after Easter. Uh, I hope you guys had a good Easter. So, there you go. Um mm-hmm. And I don't know, fully evil. I feel like, cause I, I feel this is the, you know, millennial in me. That's just like kind of skeptical about human intentions and just going through this pandemic and seeing the worst of people, but the good, good of people as well. Um, right. But I, I think uh, it's so hard to tell if people are truly good or evil it's like a question we'll have to ask i think um internally we want to give in to our our sins and whatnot um and but there is good in us that uh, say that's not right i gotta let this lady take the seat from me on the bus i can't uh i can't continue to take up two seats and let lie down you know ah uh. Uh, like one of, one of the interesting things too is the setting of Victorian London. Um, so this whole book is actually kind of a metaphor for Victorian London because on the surface, there's a lot about appearances and how you carry yourself and how you present yourself. And that was a big part of Victorian society where the, 
uh, Britain was like basically on top of the world as far as industrialization and just being top class society and like really defining what it is to be um, higher class. We all we know what Victorian like it still stands to this day where uh, the fashion of that time has a lot to do with just like being overly fancy and all the, all these other things. And what's interesting about this book is that the author, we talked about it, he's a little bit of a goofball, a um, little bit of a bohemian uh, influencer in Edinburgh when he was in college, like just really going against his father's values and being atheist and dressing the way he wanted. And so that that's what's interesting about this, because Dr. Jekyll, he wants to present himself as this uh, your your average gentleman, your good gentleman. But then on the inside, he has to hide this thing where he wants to dive into guilty pleasures. And um, in Victorian London at the time, there was a lot of interest in like other cultures and stuff. But you kind of had to keep it to yourself. You had to maybe not get into the latest um, things that weren't mainstream. You couldn't watch any A24 films. Let's just put it that way. Ooh, I love (laughs) A24 films, though. Yeah. It's not fair. Yep. Yep. We are. We love A24. Yeah. And it's also interesting, too, because uh, London... It's this like prosperous city at the time. It still is, but in Victorian in the Victorian area era, it was like, you know, the big the biggest influencer out there. And despite this, there's this there's this little guy that's just just causing a lot of hell. And yep. so it's just like no matter how much we progress as society, uh, we're always gonna have this primitive uh, troglodyte, uh, was that the word? Yep, troglodyte. Uh, troglodyte, uh, these tendencies to just kind of be, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, like being a Karen in the grocery store. Um, uh. There's going to be people that are still going to de- deny wearing masks, you know, there's just going to be uh, public freakouts. Um, we're always going to have these just things that always draw us back even though we are even though bitcoin is like soaring and we have we have uh-huh. progressed as a society so as long as there are people everything will always be happening you know what yeah. i mean yeah <laughs> whether or not we're destroying the earth or not that's that that's still happening you know we're, we're making that happen or uh, yeah i mean small stuff yeah. people that don't want to do what it's suggested for them to do you know um, they're always the outliers too. You know what I mean? One one bad apple ruins the bunch. Or two <laughs> bad or two, apple. Or two bad apples start yep. a podcast. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what did you think about the setting of London itself? Because it is kind of spooky in this book. It is kind of spooky. I'm automatically thinking, um, like I talked about in the first episode, I'm automatically thinking of Jack the Ripper the candlelit um, lamps at night barely giving off any light. And yeah, you know, the different architecture back then, I think of the 
giant top hats and the nice overcoats. Even though I can definitely say that um, I don't know about any particular, like, I can't think of any particular examples of any media or anything I've seen that would actually take place at this exact time, but just talking about it conjures up, like, a mental image for me in general, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like a character in and of itself, though, of course. You can say that for any setting in any story, but, um, it's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah. Just like, uh... I don't think the setting is as um, visceral as like St. Petersburg and Crime and Punishment, where the city's dirty and the cramped spaces really give into um, Raskolnikov's mind. Um, but I, I do think that there are some similarities with that, and maybe it's a little Dostoevsky rubbing off on right. uh, literature, where the setting of this big city sure it's like leading industrialization it's the leader of the western world but at the same time there's people that are barely scraping by um there was probably no minimum wage and people probably didn't have much to eat or like have much to put food on the table so like yeah, it, it was probably a dirty city as well back in the day. And, right. Um, especially with no environmental regulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, and right when we're cracking with that. Right. And yeah, like um, like you were saying with St. Peter, uh, Petersburg and Crime and Punishment too, um, it's described as like a big, hot, cramped space. You know what I mean? I can't say that London at the time would be the exact same or similar at all now that I think about it, but, um, you know, like you're saying with the industrial happenings going on at the time, being at the forefront of that also means that there's all sorts of people around of all types, man. Oh, yeah. You just never know if uh, one is Mr. Hyde nope. hiding among your peers. So yeah, um, and I just have one final l- little fun question here. What is your Mister Hyde? What is your um, uh, guilty pleasure? I guess. Um, to be completely honest with you, I try not to think of anything as too guilty of a pleasure, just because. Um, it's 2021, you know, people like all sorts of stuff. I think it's kind of ridiculous to ever get on someone's ass for enjoying something that we said, you know, isn't hurting anyone or isn't too crazy or anything like that. But I will say that, um, if I did have one single guilty pleasure, this is a really specific one too, but it's definitely watching old clips of that Chris Hansen NBC show to catch a predator. Oh, um, that Every single clip is so horrific to watch because Uh, for anyone unaware, this is about to take a weird turn, but they lure men who are for all intents and purposes, they're going to commit, um, you know, statutory rape is what they think is going to happen. 
they lure these guys into the house with Chris Hansen in it because they think that they're going to, you know, um, you know, have sex with underage minors or whatever. You know what I mean? And, uh, like I said, I always feel awful watching that show, (laughs) but I just also, it's like, uh, it's like a car crash or whatever. I just cannot take my eyes away from it. (laughs) Yeah. That's my Mr. Hyde. Yeah. I, I didn't even you? think of that. I don't know. I I, uh, I didn't really think too much of this question. I was just gonna say, "Oh, I work too hard." <laughs> like mm, that's you, Mister Hyde. I care too much about my company, the Air Force. Um, I care too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I guess, like, since you brought up like um, reality TV show or whatever, um, I guess like. Yeah, maybe a little bit of Jerry Springer when that would come on at midnight or whatever, um, when I'm at work. That's always kind of fun. And then, um, I get, I don't know, there's just something about cops. I know that it takes advantage of uh, communities that live there. Policing increases like tenfold and um, it just makes things worse, but... I mean, the footage is there, and there's just something, uh, it's just, you know, it's a guilty pleasure. I I, use, yeah. I don't watch cops that much anymore, but um, just whenever it came on, it's just like, huh, you know, I might be down in the dumps today, but at least I'm not there, you know? That's, that's another good example of it, too. Really yeah. pinpointing, and, um, well, yeah, pinpointing, like, just trash TV in general, I guess. You know what I mean? People love that kind of stuff, though. TLC's full of those, like, <laughs> my 400-pound life shows and all that stuff. Yeah, like, mm. oh, my gosh. I, so, man, sometimes when the family would come over for holidays or whatever, we'd just turn on TLC and, like... Oh, yeah. Or, like, just any reality TV show and just, like, watch it because we didn't have Netflix back then, but, like... um yeah, we just watched these shows that were total shit. And you know what? It's not hurting anybody. Nope. Um, so that's good. That's all you can uh, ask for. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I wanted to cover. Um, is there anything else that's, like, on your mind about this book? Um, I think we discussed everything that I wanted to discuss. Perfect. Um, wrapping this one up, you know, I thought this was a fun story. This, I agree. This story, um, e- even though we knew the twist, it was still fun to see it how see how it plays out and how much different it is from how society like uh, what society knows about it. And um, yeah, just plugging this into the bad apple meter. Gonna give it. Uh, uh, I'll give it like a 7.8. Um, I'm docking off most of the points just because it's it's hard to read. It's oh. it's hard to read. I didn't know what was going on. I had to without a doubt. It. Yeah, um, without a doubt, the toughest toughest read that I've had, um, probably ever. Honestly, yeah, it, it was tough. So, but uh, we made it through. And we, uh, I think we, 
understand what old Robert was trying to say as he was mm-hmm. lying on his deathbed uh, writing this story in America. Right. Um, um, be sure to come back next week for part one of Henry James's The Turn of the Screw. I'm about halfway into that book right now. That one's an, uh, another one that's a little tough to read, but I find it to be much more digestible than Jekyll and Hyde. There you go. And um, yeah, it's going to be uh, a ghost story. So if you oh, like, yeah. if you like turn of the century ghost stories with little, little Gothic sprinkled in there, that's what we're hitting um, at the moment. We are, uh, we, we didn't really plan this until um, we finished Frankenstein. We're like, we really like this gothic horror. So we're going to keep right. on building up this gothic horror thing. And we're going to leave, a, uh, we're going to get to uh, one of my favorite authors of all time. Well, my favorite author of all time, uh, the king of horror. Um, we're basically going to build up to Stephen King. So uh, expect... Um, after another two or three series, I think at least three, maybe we're going to cover a book by Stephen King and just kind of build up to that because he's drawn so much inspiration from whether it's been Frankenstein or HP Lovecraft. Um, yeah, all the stories we have or we are going to talk about, uh, have served as an inspiration for him. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm almost done with Misery. Uh, I don't think that's the one we're going to cover yet. We're going to talk that one out, but Misery's been pretty fun. It's cool. been a good read. Um, I think I'm going to read Carrie next, but... Yep, so... Very good. Yep, so... Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, and I hope you guys had a good Easter, found those eggs... Yeah, we'll catch you guys next week with the turn of the screw. Have a nice day. Have a good evening. Trouble with that podcast, you call me. Of course. You know. Oh yeah. I can always do nothing with it.